Welcome, welcome, welcome to Basketball Heads Live. I'm your host, Glenn Poole Harding. And in honor of Black History Month, it's only right we bring to you our first Hall of Fame guest. This New York City legend is an NBA Hall of Fame inductee who blazed the trail for young African-Americans coming up wanting to play ball at the highest level. Many ball players across the country will have never had the chance to play in the ACC, Big Ten, Big East, SEC, or any other big-time college conference. This basketball head attended Stuyvesant High School because he was not just an amazing ball player, he was an A-plus student. His team at Stuyvesant was 1-27, and since he was one of the best ball players in the city, he figured he could help them out. Well, this basketball head was denied the opportunity to join the team because of his skin color. Not letting that stop him, he left New York City and attended Laurenburg Institute Prep School in North Carolina. At Laurenburg, he would excel on and off the court, averaging an amazing 30 points and 12 assists per game while graduating valedictorian. With this one move, from New York City to North Carolina, he opened doors and opportunities for countless of other ballers from New York City that will go on to attend Lombard Institute, which was the Oak Hill Academy of his day. After graduating, he accepted a scholarship from the late great coach Dean Smith of North Carolina University, becoming the first African-American scholarship athlete at the University of North Carolina. He will become a legend while still dealing with racial issues on and off the court. Let's run down a few stats. Two-time All-American, three-time All-ACC, and Athlete of the Year in the ACC in 1970, just to name a few. Opting out of the 1970 NBA draft, he struck gold in the ABA, winning Rookie of the Year, averaging a staggering 34 points an outing, and playing on the same team as Dr. J. So while he was putting the buckets, Dr. J was grabbing his rebounds, following it up for him. That's how great of a player he was. The next stop would eventually be the NBA, but he made sure to come back home and play in the Rucker, where he became a top 50 player and an all-time Rucker player. In his eight years in the NBA, he was one of the best players in the world, winning the championship with the Boston Celtics, three-time NBA All-Star, and Hall of Fame inductee. Without further ado, help me welcome to the show, NBA legend and Hall of Fame inductee, Charlie Scott. Y'all ready? Y'all ready? ready? Yes. 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 You have you just stepped into, into, into the world, world of chaos, chaos. Where, where everybody, everybody goes hard. How you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you doing? Oh, man, look. It took me a couple of days to try to get this intro right because it's an honor to have you here today. Thank you. I'm glad for being here. and hope I can be, uh, you know, some assistance to your show. Uh, it, it, listen, this would be the biggest interview I had today. It was it was Ross Strickland, and, and I think you definitely tipping it over the scales with this one. Okay, I hope so. For sure. All right. Yeah. So, we want to get right into it. Who introduced you to the game? Well, I mean, to be honest with you, I started playing basketball when I was about 11 or 12 years old. And uh, at first I was a baseball player. I liked playing baseball because, you know, I grew up in New York City. And at that time they had the Yankees and they had the Giants and the Brooklyn Dodgers. So, you know, I was a big 
But the thing about it was that when most people were rooting for, most blacks were rooting for the Dodgers and the Giants, I was rooting for the Yankees. So, <laughs> I, I mean, I grew, I grew up a baseball fan, but, uh, and it's really funny. What, what happened was that, you know, where I lived, there was a basketball court, and I wasn't, I wasn't really that good uh, started playing basketball, but I noticed that, you know, girls came out in, in the gym and could watch the guys play basketball. And so, you know, I took an interest. I started playing basketball at the age of 11 to 12 and started playing bitty basketball and, and got really involved in it at that time. You'll be surprised. 70% of all the guys that I've interviewed said they started playing football or basketball, or football or baseball first before basketball. Yeah, well, you know, I, I mean, at the time, you know, especially when I grew up in the 50s and the 60s, you know, baseball, you know, was the number one sport, especially, like I said, I lived in New York where you had at that time the Dodgers, Yankees, and the Giants. You know, I mean, it, it was, and, uh, and of course, you know, I lived I lived on 131st Street, and that wasn't far from where Roy Campanella had his place. And so, you know, I mean, I mean, baseball was very big at that time. So I started out playing baseball, but to be honest with you, I mean, I play on the PAL team, but, you know, that fastball kind of scared me. So, you know, that's when I went to playing basketball. A short story. One of my closest friends who I went out uh, for the baseball team with, he got hit in the eye first game, and we both quit. And then I started playing basketball after that. I understand. You know, like I said, you know, that fastball, like I said, the PAL and guys pitching, you know, like, it was kind of hard, too, and I didn't have a good glove. So, you know, I played out in center field so the ball wouldn't get to me too quickly. <laughs> right. Yeah. When, when did you know you was a good student? Let's talk about school for a minute. When did you know you was a good student? Well, to be honest with you, uh, uh, I can't take credit for that. I have to say, you know, that it was really my teacher. I had a teacher. I was in a class uh, back then that was called 7SP, Special Progress. It didn't mean slow people. It meant Special Progress. It was the, a higher education class. And I had a teacher that really, uh, she saw the potential in me more than I saw in myself. She really pushed me uh, to become a good student. And in fact, you know, at that time, like I said, I played basketball and, and I wanted to go to a school like Benjamin Franklin or, or Converse, which had, and D. with Clinton, which had basketball, you know, you know, backgrounds to it. And she uh, had me take the test for Stuyvesant High School, which was a, a predominantly academic school in New York City. And um, unfortunately, I, I passed the test and was able to get in there. And uh, she was the one that pushed me. I mean, I had her for really three years, and I, and I give really most of my credit for, for really my educational background and really my educational uh, vigor with her. She made me the person that I was as far as wanting to be a good student. And I, I had to give all credit to her. Yeah, I think you had three three angels in your life, according to my research. Now I'm I'm, I'm hearing the first one was the teacher. Yeah, Mr. because if you would have ended up at DeWitt Clinton or Benjamin Franklin, we probably not telling the story. Oh, that's most for sure, for sure. I mean, I mean, I mean, she was well. Not only that, I would have not even want. I mean. She she had me wish I mean think about things that I never thought about before. She took us to play. She took me to play. She took me downtown. She showed me a part of life that growing up on 131st Street I had never experienced before. So she really opened my eyes to a lot of things, and and she was probably more aware of, of what my potential was than I than I was. You know, I didn't have a very good background from a family standpoint, but. Uh, she became really uh, the parental guidance for me at that time in my life. Do you remember the first game that you played in? Oh, yeah. I, I, you know, I remember the first basketball game I played in was bitty basketball, and that was, you know, 11 or 12 years old. And, I mean, I, I mean, tell you, uh, uh, really, I mean, I played bitty basketball, and that's when the basketball was like, they had it for, for us, was like eight or nine feet tall, and I remember playing, and the best player on my team was a guy named Ernie Nelson, and I wanted to be so much like him. But the thing about it, we played bitty basketball. I played for a team called Snooky Sugar Bowl, which was on mm. I don't know, 128th Street, I think it was. I was on the restaurant named Snooky. I played for Snooky Sugar Bowl. And we played in the bitty league. And the thing about it is that 
the year I played Biddy basketball is so funny. The same year that Coach Greg Popovich played Biddy basketball for the national tournament. So somewhere along the line, we ran into each other on the Biddy basketball national tournament scene down in Louisiana. So you, you was doing it big early. That's good. Who, who was the best player in your neighborhood coming up? I said a guy named Ernie Nelson. He was the oh Ernie Nelson. He was the best player in the neighborhood. That's who a bitty basketball player. But uh, as I got older, I mean, and the thing about me was that I grew a lot. I grew like four or five inches one summer. So I started hanging out with older guys at that time. And one of my one of the guys I used to hang out with was a guy named Earl Manny Goat. So you know, so I I was I was. 13 and 14, and he was 16, but I was hanging out with a guy like Earl Manny Goat, and, and these were the guys, because I, again, I was I was a little better in basketball than the guys of my age, and then I was a lot taller. I was a center most of the time when I was playing with those guys, but yeah, uh, uh, those were the guys I was playing with. Earl Manny Goat, Red Cobb, Ori Cobb, guys who went, I mean, went on, they went on, Ori Cobb went on to Marquette, and you know, and, and everybody knows the story about Earl Manny Goat, so I mean, those were the guys that I, I was playing at, at that time. Now, we all heard, you know, the rumors about him being able to jump on the backboard and take 50 cent off, right? Those <laughs> myths and legends were here for years. Uh, was he a really was he a really good ball player, like at your level? Okay, what's the next question? <laughs> <laughs> You answered the OG. You answered it. You got it. You got it. I mean, I mean, what I what I would say is that put it this way. You gotta remember. I mean, Earl Manigo was a five eleven power forward. So I mean, so that's I mean. That, I get it. I get it. I, mean, I get it now. That's what I'm saying. You know, for the era right. of ball, and, and 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 I mean, like it was for five eleven at that time to be able to dunk in a game. You know, doing this at that time in the '60s was phenomenal. So I mean, that's what I mean. You know, his ability, the position would not have gone on as it, you know as it was. He was a five eleven power forward back then. Gotcha. It makes sense. So what you ended up at Stuyvesant with was strictly an academic move. Yes, I'm right. Credit to your teacher. You still wanted to play basketball. Well, the thing, right? These guys is. Uh, they were one in twenty-seven, and you still wanted to play, and that tells a lot about you and your character. Well, the thing about it was that you know I wanted to play on the basketball team because I—I I mean, like Stuyvesant was a school where ninety-eight percent of the graduates went to school on academic scholarships, and uh, and, and and they would—they wanted to go to Ivy League schools, and 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 that was the really the predominantly. Uh, education of those who went there, but I mean, I was a little different. I wanted to go to a school that had a basketball, a basketball background. So at that time, especially when I was uh, in high school and at Stuyvesant, NYU was a big basketball powerhouse at that time, and uh, and, and uh, you know they had Barry Kramer and guys like that. So I was looking to try to get a basketball scholarship. So I wanted to go out for the basketball team, and the uh, and I never forget the guy's name. I, I mean. His name was Ed Cavallero. I mean, I went out and he told me that, you know, that he would that he did not allow, you know, freshmen or sophomores to play on the basketball team. And the team was one in twenty-seven, and and he, and he would not allow me to play on the team. And I decided that if if I was going to be able to play basketball, I go. I would have to, you know, go somewhere else. And luckily, I played on an AAU team that had. A, a couple of players that were going at that time down to Laurenburg Institute, and they told me about uh, where they were going and what they were going to be involved in and what the school was about. And it was so funny that the year that they were telling me about it, they had three guys that were graduating from that school at the time. One guy named was James Barlow, who was one of the best backcourt players from our era. Another guy named was Dexter Westbrook, who was six seven, who went to Providence. And the third guy at that school named was Jimmy Walker. Who ended up being, who went to Providence, ended up being the number one draft choice in the 1966 draft for the Detroit Pistons and the, the All American all the way around. So, and you know, so I mean, they were leaving, but the pedigree of the school had, had 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 really been there, and I and I decided that you know that would be my best opportunity, really, to get a basketball scholarship, and then really to go to college. 
Wow, Jimmy Walker, Jalen Rose's father, number one draft pick. Look at that, Longberg. I had a couple of friends that went to Longberg as well. Uh, Keith Stroud, Anthony Ravel, and Lloyd Daniels. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, and, and one of my coaches, the great Gil Reynolds, used to coach there. Yes, that's true. And, and the thing about it, what people don't know is that, you know, Jimmy Walker went there, but uh, uh, the first great basketball player out of Longberg Institute named is Sam Jones. And uh, people don't know that that Sam Jones. No, I didn't know. I, actually, I, I read about it today. Yes. I mean, he's originally from Lawrenceburg. He was from that area, and he went to that school and Mr. McDowell. Wow. Uh, always. And in fact, uh, I always uh, uh, kid Sam because when I was a, a, a junior at Lawrenceburg, uh, Mr. McDuffie took us to see uh, the Boston Celtics play. I think it was at that time the San Francisco Warriors, you know, at a game in Charlotte Coliseum. I had an opportunity to meet Sam Jones for the first time. And I always kid him about it because, you know, as a kid growing up from New York City and never really being around professional athletes, I mean, to get the opportunity to meet a professional athlete, and I was so excited about meeting him. And i never forget that my, co my coach would say, Sam, I want you to meet a young man named, you know, Charles Scott. He's a real young man. And I put my hand out to meet Sam, and the first thing Sam did was give me a dollar, say, go out and buy me some popcorn, kid. And, that <laughs> and I never let him forget it. I keep telling him every time I see him that the first thing he ever did to me was, you know, would burst my ego about, you know, about meeting a professional basketball player. But, you know, Sam was the first uh, really true basketball player from that era, and, um, you know, uh, I had opportunity, you know, just to follow in those guys' footsteps, to be honest. Now, now you moving down to North Carolina, uh, did you have to deal with a lot of racial problems down there as well? Well, really, I didn't move to Lomberg. Lomberg is a private prep school, like I said. It's just like Oak Hill. It was Oak Hill before Oak Hill. I mean, like, 80% of, uh, uh, of, uh, of the students there were from the North Carolina area. Gotcha. a private school. But the basketball team itself were a conglomerate of players from all over uh, the country. And... Um, and, and like I said, it was, you know, the same circumstance as Oak Hill. And guys went there with the idea of going to college, you know, gaining college scholarships. And like I said, you know, um, uh, my roommate at the time named was Skip Hayes. He went on to Providence. My other roommate, uh, Al Williams, went on to Winston-Salem State, you know, you know. And so, I mean, the school was known for, you know, putting out basketball prodigies. So, I mean, it, it, and I remember in my class, four of the, my, my class went on to college, you know, one had scholarship to college. So it was really known, you know, from the basketball program, really very well known. But the most important thing about the school, it really taught you, you know, work ethics, and, and, and it really prepared you for, for college because Mr. McDuffie, he made us, it was like, you know, seven to nine, you were in the dormitories with always study hours. So you gained that that knowledge of, you know, you gained how to learn how to study, which benefited me when I went to college after that point. Yeah, and that's and that's your second angel right there, Coach McDuffie. Oh, yeah. Right? Well, Miss McDuffie, not only he's an angel, he's a naysayer. I mean, and to uh, be honest with you, uh, he probably had more to do with me going to North Carolina than anybody else in this world because if I'd have had my choice, and really at the end of my senior year, if I had my choice of who was my favorite coach and who was the guy I would want to be with and play for, it would be Lefty Giselle. I mean, Lefty and I are still great friends. I mean, I, I consider him one of the most important persons in my life because he was one that – put the light on me, shine the light on me from a national standpoint that actually really Lefty was the first person to recruit me. And it was after him that I, after that I had a hundred scholarship offers to major colleges all over the country, but he was the one that first recruited me. And he was the one that always, you know, showed interest in me. And, and, and to this day, I mean, I, I always tell people, you know, Coach Smith is really, you know, my father died when I was very young at 14. So Coach Smith was always my, to me, a father figure. But uh, uh, Lefty comes in as a second father figure. I mean, up to this day, we are always still very close. So, I mean, that I mean that was really the significance of, of, of that circumstance. You know, Lefty and was really the first person that really showed interest in me. And was that Davidson University? 
Yeah, Davidson College. You know, Davidson College. Davidson, right? And, 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 and when you went there, they had the Jubilee weekend? No, no, no. You got it a little backwards. No, see, but I... Uh, give me, give, give, tell me about the Jubilee weekend. Was that North Carolina? No, but what is... That was North Carolina. That was North Carolina. Ah, got you, got you, got you, got you. That I had committed to Davidson College, and this is where I'm saying, and this is where I say Mr. McDuffie was a lot uh, wiser and had a lot more idea of what happened. I committed to Davidson College, and Mr. McDuffie would not allow me to sign a letter of intent early. You know, you know, he told me, you know, since I was young, you know, I need to go visit other places and, you know, you know, gain more, you know, gain more knowledge. And, and he was right about that. And to give you an idea of how right he was, uh, I visited Purdue University. And when I visited Purdue, they took me out to eat to dinner. So uh, when they took me out to eat to dinner, you know, we sat at the table and the first thing the guy asked me, well, you know, what kind of steak do you want? So I never knew steak had names to it. I never had a steak in my life. So I never knew steak. Right, right, right. So he said, well, I said, well, what kind of steaks do you have? He said, well, we got a filet mignon. I said, well, I don't like fish. Don't give me no filet. So, they did it. so then they started naming steaks, and they started naming the steaks. And when he said New York, I said, well, I'm from New York. Give me a New York strip. So therefore, I, I got the New York steak. But then when he really got me, they said, okay, what kind of dressing do you want on your salad? And like I said, I grew up in Harlem, and this was the 50s. So anytime I saw lettuce and tomatoes, the only thing I ever thought I ever went on it was mayonnaise. So I said mayonnaise. So, you know, at that point in time, you know, I went back to Lawrenburg after my visit to Purdue, and Mr. McDuffie said, well, you know, tell me about your trip and how did it go? And I told him all the things that happened. I told him about the incident. He said, well, Charles, tomorrow I'm going to enroll you in home economics. So from now on, when you go on trips, you will know exactly how to act and how to present yourself and what to order. And wow. what to so again, you know, he understood the importance of that. And then again, like I said, I still was set on going to Davidson. I had been, there was only one other school I wanted to go to if I didn't go to Davidson. And that's when I visited UCLA out in Los Angeles. And when I got off the plane and there was the pom-pom girls to meet me at the airport, and and then, you know, I go in Los Angeles, I drive through Beverly, drive you through Beverly Hills and through Westwood. And you know, at that time, you know, Kareem and I was, you know, we had grown up together. I knew him. He was a freshman and I met him and we went out that weekend. And I would, and you know, it was Los Angeles. And I told Coach Wooden at that time, I said, well, listen, I'm valedictorian in my class. I don't have to go back to Longbury because if I go back, Coach McDuffie ain't gonna let me come back out here. Yeah, <laughs> here right now, and I'll sign a letter of intent because he won't let me sign it when I go back. So you know, I mean, that was the only other place that it really, you know, I had in my mind. But other than that, I was really stuck on going to Davidson College, you know, because I said Lefty. In fact, what Lefty had let me do was that after I told him I was going to go there. He let me decide the other four freshmen that, that was going to be recruited by him. In other words, every time he had a freshman visit there, at that time, they, you could take as many visits to a college as you wanted to. So he would have somebody come pick me up at Lomberg and drive me to, to Davidson, and I would be out there that same weekend. He would ask me, how did I like this guy and how did I like that guy? Now, I ended up picking the other five guys that ended up going to uh, – uh, Davidson, Doug Cook, and Mike Malloy, and all those guys. Those were the guys I told Lefty I wanted to play with, and so those were the guys he gave scholarships to. And I was all set to go there, but like I said, Miss McDuffie and his wisdom kept taking me to the University of North Carolina every weekend to see a basketball game. And finally, he took me there the weekend that was called Jubilee Weekend, and that was the weekend that was the weekend weekend before finals at a school. And on that weekend, Jubilee weekend, University of North Carolina had Smokey Robinson and the Miracles and the Temptations. And that was it for me. Any school that had Smokey Robinson and the Miracles and the Temptations Jubilee weekend, that was right. it for me. Plus, to be honest with you, and this is the honest to God truth, when I was in Lomberg, I got one fan letter from a girl every year. This girl used to write me every year. I'll never forget. And she lived in Durham. She went to Hillside High School, which is the high school that John Lucas's father was the principal of. Her name was Dolly Faye Smith. And she used to write me a letter every, she wrote me a letter for a whole year because we played Hillside High School. 
So I figure also, not only was I going to a school that, you know, that has Smokey Robinson and the Miracles and, 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 and the Temptation, but only eight miles away was Durham, where, they, where Dolly Faye Smith was, I had an already made in girlfriend. So life was wonderful for guys that time. So, you know, especially going to an all-white school where I, I knew that my choice of women was going to be very limited, you know, it was, right. you know, that was, for me as a 17 year old, that was, that was a short thing to have a short girlfriend. So, I mean, those things, it'd be funny, the most important things that make you choose the school. And, and, and at that time, that was the most important thing. Coach Smith, I mean, to be honest with you, Coach Smith might have been the second, no, maybe the third, because Larry Brown was his coach. And I really liked Larry more than anyone else. And the thing about it was that after the Jubilee weekend, when Larry Brown and Coach Loss was driving me back to Lombard, they asked me, did I enjoy myself? And I said, yeah, I had a great time. They said, well, you know, what do you think about the school? I said, well, yeah. I said, you know, North Carolina, you know, real good. They said, well, you think you want to come? So you know when you when the kids in that you know in that chance he said yeah I want to come but Mr. McDuffie had always given me an out because he had always told me yeah I want to come but Mr. McDuffie won't allow me to sign a letter of intent because he wants me to visit other schools so I had my out I said well yeah I said yeah I would love to come to North Carolina I said but Mr. McDuffie said that I can't sign a letter of intent you know this time of the year. So they drove me back to Lombard, and then when they got out the car, so Miss McDuffie said, well, how much did you like it, Charles? And so Larry said, well, Miss McDuffie, Charles said he wants to come, but you said he couldn't sign a letter of intent, you know, right now. And to my surprise, Miss McDuffie said, no, he can sign a letter of intent if he wants to go to North Carolina. So, <laughs> but again, that was his wisdom and understanding the importance of going to the state university as compared to going to a private university at that time. You know, he understood the importance of going to the University of North Carolina, of being the first black athlete to have a scholarship to the University of North Carolina. I mean, it wasn't just the importance of being the first black athlete, you know, on a basketball team. It was the importance of the State University of North Carolina, the very first university, you know, and, and, and I mean, state public university in America was the University of North Carolina. So he understood that significance. And. Uh, and, and I gather years later that that's where he was really pushing me for because he understood the importance of being the first one there. But not only that, his wisdom was far greater than he thought it would be because also no one could, I would never have imagined that Coach Smith would end up being as important to my life as he ended up being at that time in being him. Wow. And, and you were the perfect player at the time for the school the right temperament, the right grades, and the right skill set. So it worked out right for you, man. Yeah, I mean, I mean that was true. And, and also, though, also, I mean, I have to give credit to the guys that were there because the people that really made it possible for me to feel comfortable. Because I mean, I had no, I, I had no, uh, uh, you know, you know, uh, undue vision about where I was going to school and, and what I was dealing with. I had dealt with, you know bigotry in the three years that I went to Lawrenceburg, so I understood that. But, you know, the idea that, you know, my teammates, you know, and, and, and you know, again, I played with a guy who was a two-time All-American when I was, you know, uh, uh, becoming a sophomore named Larry Miller, and, and, and his acceptance of me on the team, and his acceptance of me uh, uh, allowing me to be the player that I can be at that time, you know, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and the other guys, Rusty Clark and Dick Gruber, I mean, those guys, were really more important to me at that time than Coach Smith was because those mm. guys that I really played with and I was around all the time. Coach Smith, you know, I saw in the gym, but those are the guys that I lived in the dormitory with. Those were the guys I went on the road with. And those were the guys that had to make me put put me in a comfort zone that I was able to succeed at the at the height that I was able to succeed at because of their confidence in me and the confidence that they made me feel about myself. Yeah, because if you're going through all that racial tension off the court and then your teammates don't embrace you, you don't have the career that you have, you know, so. I, and yeah, I mean, uh, especially at that time, like I said, you know, and, and people got to understand, and, and, and um, I don't look at, I mean, I look at it with, you know, I mean, with, with great with, with great pride is the fact that people don't understand that when I played at the University of North Carolina, there weren't any black football players at any school in the South. 
There wasn't any black baseball players in any school in the South. There weren't any black athletes on any major Southern school at that time. You know, maybe in track was the only thing where they might have had a black athlete at those schools, but not in their major sports. So, so the very first major black sports figure that a Southern person had the chance to see with me. So, I mean, I understood the responsibility and 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 and, and to be able to succeed had to be just not me, but a, a group of people that uh, that helped me along that way. And so, I mean, my teammates were very instrumental. And of course, Coach Smith, Larry Brown, and, and John Ross. I mean, those people were very instrumental in me being able to succeed and being in the mindset that I felt like I could do it really without any help because I did not have any, you know, I mean, there was just so much they could do. It, it was the South. It was the 60s. You know, and it was and it was something that I would have to deal with, but they made it so that I did not feel that I was doing these things by myself. Mm. The transitions that you had to make as a young man, you know, from Stuyvesant High School, you had to make another transition in Longburg, you making another transition in North Carolina. It's just a constant transition, and you have to be built for something like that because a lot of guys fold under that pressure of succumb to drugs or, you know other things, elements that uh, people go <laughs> through at those times of pressure and you took it and you ran with it and you made the best of it. Well, I mean, and, and to be honest with you, I mean, I really have to give more credit and credence to those people that I look to as mentors because, yeah. I mean, I, had, I was a blank page. I did not know which direction to go. I was just lucky that I took a hold of the right mentors, that the people that I listened to really did have my interest at heart, really did really did try to pull the most out of me to get the most potential out of me. I was very fortunate in, 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 in that circumstance because it could have easily just have gone another direction with different types of people because I was just looking for leadership. Like I said, um, my father died when I was 14. My mother left me when I was 11. So really from the age of 11 to 21, I was really on my own. So I was always looking for, for direction from some somebody. And when you're looking for direction, you know, sometimes you could be led in the Hopefully get it clear. Okay. Get to yeah, that. okay. Yeah. So and on here we like to ask guys about mentors because I'm a mentor as well as a high school coach. And it's important that, you know, we be in these young guys' lives because like yourself, I was a young guy who grew up without a father as well. Well, I had a dad, but he wasn't in my life. But I was reaching out to different people who can guide me in the right direction. And I think these young guys have to find the right people to be in their life to guide them in the right direction so they can have a successful life at the end of the day. Well, I mean, you know, I, I mean, I think, you know, we all, you know, the thing about it, and this is what I really learned, which I mean, I always tell myself, you know, when I was 17, I couldn't wait to be 21, you know, and when I was 21, when I was 31, I realized how dumb I was at 21. And when I was 41, <laughs> I was stupid at 31. You learn that you you know you learn with life, and 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 you learn that you know that you're not as smart as you know as you know as you as you think you are, and, and there's always room for learning. Luckily, like I said, for me was that you know because I I started out with not much confidence in myself, I was open for other people to to give me input. And I said, fortunate enough, I ran into the right people to give me the right type of input. Mm. So let, let's talk about this this Duke game, all right? You know, we we all know about the stats in college and how well you did, uh, being an All American, you know, All ACC. But there was a time when you was playing the game and things wasn't working right. Yeah, and for some reason you didn't give in well, and hit one of the biggest shots in North Carolina's history. And this is before Michael Jordan shot. Oh, oh, oh. Well, you know what, though? I mean, um, see, first of all, you know, uh, 
and 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 this again, this is from I mean basketball. Now this is the the part of competitiveness in basketball. Now that comes from Harlem, because when you're out there playing on the street, it's 15 baskets. First one to 15. <laughs> That's right. In. That's right. And if you lose, you don't know when you're getting back on the court again or whatnot. I'm dying, you know. See, talk about it. Talk about it. Tell them. You know, tell them. So you know. So so you know. You play. In fact, you know, it always be you always have four good ball players. And one guy who was the, the bully who who made sure that when you made a call that you that you could hold up to your call, you know, when you you know, you could fight for that fifteen point. You, you know, you had four guys who could play and one guy who was the bully for that, you know, could beat up everybody else and make sure that you could stay on the court. But you know, you know, playing pressure like that, I mean and, and people don't understand that's how we grew up in Harlem, you know, because you had one court, you had about you know, five or six teams want to play. So when you win, you stay on. When you lose, you get off. And you might not get back on for another hour and a half. So, you know, I mean, playing to win and pressure is what you grew up with in playing basketball when you played like that. Street group, I mean, like I said, it wasn't AU. This was just in the park basketball. And every time it was 15 baskets, first one to 15 win, you had to win by two. So, therefore, you know, I mean, to me, uh, that's that's the mindset I I always had when I when I played and 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 it was like you know in the finals I mean I mean and 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 uh, I, I take credit for this that you know still you know the ACC tournament record for the for the finals is still my record right? you know forty two points in the final championship game you know and that's before, and they didn't have a three point three point shot then but you know um well, hold on hold on hold on who 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 else did you crack that game. That was Duke. That was Duke. Oh, I played Duke, and, and they were just sending everybody at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what, though? Uh, but like I said, that was you know you have a game sometime where you know like everything you know I mean just seemed to go right, and 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 that seemed you know like that game for me, you know, was that instant where you know I, I mean I made uh, like I I hit like twelve out of thirteen shots, you know, you know, uh, you know, and like I said, there was no three point line at that time, so I mean. 40 points were 40 points, you know, and um, it's still the record for the ACC tournament, you know, final game. And, um, you know, that was great, especially beating Duke. You know, I always tell Grant Hill about that, you know. <laughs> you know, my thrill is that, you know, I hold a record in the ACC tournament for beating Duke in the finals. And, and the thing about it, we were down nine at halftime against them, and they thought they were going to beat us because one of our, our star quarterback point guard at that time had tore his knee up in the semifinals, and, and, and and we thought and everybody thought we were through, but you know that was I mean that to me was great. And then to follow that up was to play against Lefty Dizel and Davidson, the five guys that I had recruited to play them in Eastern Regionals Finals and hit the winning shot to beat them. You know those were things that you know that that you know that that really made um, made my uh, uh, career what it was in college and, and all those things. But it also was a part of a, a, a growing up because I never forget at the time when I was playing in, the, in, in during that year, my junior year, which probably was the best year of college. I, I mean, I probably played. I was first team All American. I had I was the MVP of the ACC tournament. I had scored forty points. I was the MVP of the Eastern Regionals. I was first team All American. The only player in the ACC to be All American. But yet and still, John Roach was the ACC Basketball Player of the Year. And that was the first time I understood how much racism stood in even in, in athletics. And, and it was something that, um, that really, it was the first time I really felt uh, put aside for something that I felt like I, I honestly deserved, you know. And um, it was the first time that I understood that even in sports, racism still had had its hand in, in, in things that that happened. Up until that point, I really thought that that on that floor, what you did mattered more than anything else. But I, I mean, that was something that I mean awakened me to to really uh, life, you know, to circumstances that you know that we still deal with today. That you know. Equality and performance is 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 the eyes of the beholder. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes the eyes can be closed of the beholder. So, I mean, so I mean, that's right, that's right. You know, so uh, you know, I I, I had I learned a, a quick lesson on that one, and 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 it really, um, 
I mean, um, helped me grow up a whole lot. And of course, the 68 Olympics was a, 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 a great uh, uh, acknowledgement for me too. Uh, I mean, I had the opportunity to meet a Mr. Avery Brundage who, who showed me what racism was about in, 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 the, in the most strictest form. And, uh, you know, and like I said, I was part of the 68 Olympics, had opportunity, you know, John Carlos and I, and it's a short story, John Carlos and I grew up together and, 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 and we went to the same junior high school. And I used to run track against them in the same junior high school. And at that time, there wasn't a 100 or 200 yard dash, it was only the 60 yard dash. And I used to come in first place in the 60 yard dash. I always wow. that. But I mean, you know, the 68 Olympics and, and all those things, you know, I, I I had opportunities to really see America from different perspectives, and um, you know, I mean, some things I, I, I learned in life, but I mean, I also learned a lot about you know a bigotry from the standpoint of uh, really, really being uh, personalizing it. Like I said, from the ACC tournament and from the and from the Olympics, you know, I learned a lot of things that you know that uh, carried me on uh, and, and really help me be the individual and to understand circumstances that had gone on since then in my life. You 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 gotta be one of the most important basketball figures in history. Just the all the things that you experienced that you went through and then at the time that you went through it and then how you came out of it. And still understanding that you know we still live in two Americas. Yeah, but but like I said, you know, I mean, you, I mean, I can't really explain how fortunate I am and the people. I mean, I can't really give. I mean, I can't give enough credence to the Miss Jarrett and the Mister McDuffies and Coach Smith and people because I mean they had a lot more to do with it, I mean, than anything else. Like I said, I was just a, I was I was a piece of clay, you know, and the molding had to be done by others and the, and, 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 and the internal had to be done by others. I was a piece of clay. So, I mean, I, I mean, I, 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 I feel fortunate, like I said, because I have so many other friends who could have, like I said, I remember the guy I keep telling you about, Ernie Nelson. I never forget his name. You know, he I mean, when we were growing up, he was twice the basketball player I was, you know. He never, you know, ne never win anything. I mean, so many people that I've grown up with, you know, Pablo Robinson, Walter Robinson. I remember so many guys that I've grown up with. You know, I have a picture of when I was 14 years old on the AU team, and out of the 14 guys on the team, only three of them made it past the age of 30. So, I mean, there are so many things that I can think of and that I would that that I know would have been different if it wasn't for those people in my life. Well, you're definitely a, a walking testament for greatness. And you know, I don't I, I want to keep you on too long, but I just want to mention a few things. Uh that 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 game in a Rucker Park, which was one of the greatest games in Rucker history, where PB Kirkland called you out in front of your girl. <laughs> yeah, that's the only reason I played. Cause I mean, what happened was that I had gone up there to see Julius play. He was playing on a team called the West Sider, that was coached by Pete Vesey, and it had you know Joe Dupree and and, and a lot of other pros play. And I was going up there to watch. Excuse Julius. me, Peter Vesey, the, the sports guy, Peter Vesey. Yeah, Pete was the coach. He was the coach of the team. The new, uh, yeah, I said it was the West Siders. He was the coach of our team. And, and okay. They, and most of the guys from the team were from Long Island. Like I said, Joe Dupree and all those guys that went to St. John's, I know those were the guys that was on that team. And Julius was on that team because Julius from Westbury, Long Island. So, you know, that was the West Side. And I had gone up there with my girlfriend and a friend. I had driven up from Virginia to watch Julius play. So I was, sit, you, know, you know, standing on the side and, and all the little kids just say, hey, Charlie, are you going to play? No, nah, no, nah, I can't see Julius play. He wasn't Doc at that time. He was Julius. So, I mean, PB walked past me and said, you going to play? And, he, and, and I said, no, nah, I ain't going to play. He said, what's the matter? You scared? And so, you know, in front of my girlfriend, in front of, you know, in front of all, you know, everybody out there. And that was the day that the park was just jam-packed. You know, I mean, people was all over the roofs and all over every place. 
So I mean, so I mean, I mean, and, and, and being from Harlem, and anyway, you know, I'm gonna take that. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna take that on anyway. So that that was the challenge within itself. So yeah, I I, I got out and, and I played, and Julius and I played, and we played the game, and like I said, it became a legendary game, and um, and uh, we won the game. At the end of the game, I remember standing on the sideline. And I remember one of uh, PB's guys walking to me and said, "Hey, Charlie." I said, "What?" Don't come past 116th Street or your ass is dead. <laughs> you know, but at that time we were up on 155th Street, so that was my area. I said, I said okay, you know, yeah, you can talk that shit. But I mean, I, I, I mean, they said that, but I mean, nowadays, you know, it, it, it was, it, it was a big thing then. But you know, the big thing for us was the fact that you know, and everybody knew at that time, Pee Wee them was the big gangsters, and you know, so it was That's good. Right. You know, they rolled up in Cadillacs and. Brought out the beast chairs and everything, you know, and uh, so you know it was the good guys against the bad guys at that time. So you know, and like I said, I was holding my reputation. You know, he was he can't embarrass me in front of my girlfriend at that time. You know, I was young and you know, and took challenges on like that. That's right, and, and, and you just came from doing it in front of crowds who was probably you know didn't like you and still killing them. So this was nothing. You was home. Yeah, well, it, like I said, this rucker, you know, you, you know, you, That's you, right. guys, you, you get called in rucker, you got to answer that response, you know, like, you know, like, uh, I had played in rucker before. In fact, people don't, I mean, I played in the high school division. Me and Kareem played together in the high school division in the rucker tournament. So people don't even know that. Just imagine if y'all had played together in college. That would have been another well, set I, of history. No, they didn't need me. They had enough. Like I said, I visited there, but you remember they had Lucius Allen, Mike won. You know, they, I mean, they were loaded. They won three. They won three straight. So I don't think they missed anything. You know. I, oh, okay. You know, I mean, they, I mean, and in fact, uh, we lost to them at my my first year in the championship game. You know, I, I lost to them in the championship game. You know, and wow, you know, okay. And, but uh, no, no, no. That 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 team that he was on was probably the greatest college basketball team that was put together. You know, they won three straight championships and, you know, three NCAA championships. And he was, Korean was probably the greatest college player that ever played the game. So, I mean, I was just fortunate to, that our team was fortunate enough that we were always number two during those years. We never, I mean, UCLA was always number one, but North Carolina was always number two. So, I take pride in the fact that our school was, you know, we kept them up, you know, in that national ranking. Yeah, I, I found out Mike Warren uh, was a ball player after you know, I, I saw my Hill Street Blues in the yeah, youngsters. So that's how that Mike Watt, young a basketball player, point guard. For yeah. He, he could play. Yeah. And I was surprised that he never even went out for, uh, he never went for professional basketball. As soon as he got, as soon as he graduated, he went straight to the movies. And, and I was very surprised because he was a terrific basketball player. He mm -hmm. uh, was quick and, 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 and as good as they come. But he never, he never went further. But, it, it worked out. It worked out pretty good for him. It worked out pretty well for him in any way. All right, we. I'm gonna wrap it up real quick, but I want to have some fun real quick because you know uh, this game is called start, bench, or cut. All right, okay. we're gonna start it with you. We started with you. It's a brand new game that we're gonna do. Three, get three guys. Who's gonna start? Who you gonna bench? And who you gonna cut? Okay. All right. All right. Earl of Pearl Monroe. Nate Tiny Archibald, oh. Walt, Walt Clyde Frazier. Oh. oh, shit, I'm not cutting any of those guys. You know, who the hell are you going to bench on that? I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, you All right, know, you know, I knew, the, I knew that was going to be a tough one. No, no, I knew that was going to be a tough one. First of all, it's, first of all, it's not tough, it's impossible. Because you don't start bench or cut any of those guys. I mean, come on. I mean, you know, people might want to play games, but let's play truthful. Who, who you gonna cut? Tiny Archibald at thirty-five points and thirteen assists, or Earl of Pearl that that, that that made the world go round, or Smooth Clive? Who you gonna cut? I mean, come on. I mean, all you doing by saying you cut one of them to start the argument. <laughs> I mean, really. This, I mean, this is for this is for everybody else. I, I mean, just I, I mean, just want to hear that. I mean, I, all right, I, I mean, I'll, I'll give you another list. I'll give you another list. That's not your error. I mean, I can't. One more list. I, I couldn't. I mean, those are three great, different, and really three different types of great basketball. Players. Yes, yes, so yes. Different styles, but they were great. And and and, and who am I to cut any of them? 
I mean, I mean, be honest. Who am I to say cut or bench any of them? Maybe Red Orbach could do it, or Phil Jackson. <laughs> not me. Okay, I, I, I don't, I, 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 I don't have, I don't have that type. Okay, of it's all good. Okay, top five New York, top five players in New York City history. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Now, are you saying uh, top five players, high school or all the way? Top five New York City no, players. You know what, though? Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Connie Hawkins, Roger Brown. Mm. And I'm going to name somebody when he was in high school was probably one of the greatest players in high school. People don't even know that. They know him for something else. Vaughn Hopper. Yes, yes, Vaughn Hopper. Yes. People know yes. WBLS. Boys are great. Boys are great. You know, Vaughn yes. Hopper. And let's see, that's four. Dog, and I got three from Brooklyn. I'm really doing bad. <laughs> Brooklyn. That's what we do. Let's see. And the fifth, let's see. Who did I say now? Vaughn Hopper. Kareem. You said Connie Hawkins. Connie Hawkins. You said uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Roger Brown. Okay. Gosh. See, I'm going to be open-minded. I got to say tiny. I'm going to put tiny. So I'm not going to put myself. I'm going to say tiny. Tiny. Tiny's on my list, too. Tiny. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. so those are my five greatest basketball players out of New York. Now, the thing about it is that, you know what, though? But see, tiny became great, really, in the pros. Those I heard that. I heard that. And I already only played one year high school basketball. Huh? I only only played one year high school basketball. Yeah, see, that's what I'm saying. So, I mean, I'm going to take them back off because of that, because you're saying, you know, New York City basketball. And I'm saying, really, Tiny became great once he became a Kansas City Royal. Up until then, he was a second-round draft choice. He had the ability, but really, Bob Cousy really let, let him explode to be the player that he became and that he that, mm. that he was able to be also, you know. But, um. See, I mean, God, it, it's, I'm trying to think of who in New York. Let's see, those are four that, see, they, they were great in New York City basketball legend. That's what I'm talking about. See, they were great. If you ask streetball, all that, see, Tiny and all of us were great when we came back to the pros. Mm. They, these guys were great when they were in high school. You heard about, you know, Connie Hawkins, Roger Brown. You know, I mean, I mean, Vaughn Harper. See, that's what I'm saying. Kareem, these guys were great in high school. At the, and, uh, okay, who's the fifth one in high school? Well, I don't know. It's, I mean, I guess I'll stay with Tiny from that standpoint. Uh, I, I, I'll say Charlie Scott. Well, you know what? From a high school standpoint, I mean, I'm not saying I'm one of the best five guys that ever come out. I'm not saying, but you know, when you take at the high school time period. No, I know who is high school. Yeah, but you did on the college level, uh, and you did on the pro level, uh, and you came back, and you did in the park. No, but I got to say, on the high school, you got to go to Stephon Marbury, don't you? Yeah, from my high school. Yeah, from Lincoln. Yeah, you got to go to yeah. Stephon Marbury. See, I mean, I'm just being honest. You're talking about, you know, high school legends. That was high school legends in New York City that went on from there. Those five guys that you could think of from high school, they were legends in high school. And then mm. on from there. So, so, so that's what I'm giving those the five greatest high school, I mean, uh, uh, players. Now, I mean, if you go to pros, then of course we got, you know, then we could go the other, we go another route. But I'm saying the five, you know, guys who, when, when they were in high school, it was, you know, just it was Von Harper, Rod, Roger, Connie. You know they, you know they were in Stephon Marbury. You know those were guys that were that you went to see in high school. That's what I'm saying. Wow. So I would give it to those five guys. Then. Well, listen, you you wanted a few guys who did it on the high school level. You did it in big time college. You did it in the ABA. You came back to New York, killed in a rucker, then went to the NBA. Won the NBA championship and did on the NBA level with the All Star. I I don't think too many people can say they did that. You know, maybe Kareem. Well, like I said, from New York City. 
Yeah, well, I said, you know, I, 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 and I, I admit, and, but, and I'm gonna take, I'll, I'll give you one thing. See, Kareem got one thing over me, and I got one thing over him. He got the college championship. I got the Olympic championship. <laughs> Ooh, the Olympic. That's that's right. That's right. The gold medal. So I mean, so you know, and one of the most important Olympics in American history. Yeah. So you know, so I mean, like I said, I mean, I feel very fortunate. You know, for my, I mean, I mean, for for, for my basketball career. I mean, I feel like I've been very fortunate. The people that I've come in contact with, the people that have helped me, you know, gain. You know the notoriety. You know, I mean, the people that have really built me to be the you know the individual I am. I mean, like I said, I always understood that that you know that I mean, I'm 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 grateful for those that helped me. I I know that it, it, it was not me. My ego does not go to me. It goes to Miss Jared. It goes to Miss McDuffie. It goes to Sam Jones. It goes to Dean Smith. It goes to Larry Brown. All those people that came into my life and say, hey. This young man has something worthwhile for me to to help him and you know to become a person and, and really oh uh, of course Coach Smith the most important person in my life because he I mean that's fifty years of, of mentorship and he he taught me how to become a human being how to become a person and 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 he's I mean he was always there for not just me for all three hundred seventy two players that he ever had. And his, his commitment it, it had no boundaries, and and I, I always tell his wife when I see her, I knew she never thought she was gonna have 374 kids, but you know that's what she had when she married Coach Smith. So I mean, wow, I have great great respect for Coach Smith. That's my number one person for uh, that every day that I, I I mean he's not here, but I hope every day I, I make him proud because I, I mean he was the one that really took the time to, to 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 not just take make me the person that I am, but every person that came through his through his system and came through the University of North Carolina. And I think if you ask anyone, they will all say the same thing. Yeah. Uh Michael Jordan talked well about you. Grant Hill talked well about you. All the guys who, you know, that came after you and and talked about what you meant to them. Um and I'm looking at you today, brother. You looking good, man. You looking good. I, I wish when I get older, I'm looking <laughs> as good as you, brother. How do you stay in shape? And this is gonna be my last question. How do you stay in shape, man? And you look phenomenal, man. I mean, I mean, to be honest with you, I'm not in shape. I just have a good, very good metabolism that burns very. Well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I'm not in any type of shape. I can't run. I couldn't run. I mean, only thing I do is walk up and down the steps. You know, my wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True, true. Do more things than I do. I mean. Because, I mean, I never forget is that, I mean, I never forget the, the first day I stopped when I retired from playing basketball and I was living in California. And I went out and I started running and I and I thought about it. I said, I've been running since I was 12 years old. I said, I'm That's right. 32, I'm stopping. I'm not going to run anymore. So, I mean, you know, I mean, that was uh, something that, I, that I, I changed then, you know. So, no, I'm not in shape. I mean, I... I, I, I might look at, you know, but, I mean, I couldn't play basketball if I wanted to right now. I mean, I well, we not, none of us are in basketball shape, but, you know, I, you I, see a lot of guys who look, who, look, who are younger than you, yeah. and they don't look as good as you and how you take care of yourself. So oh, I like to ask all of my guests that because of the day and time that we live in and make sure that we all take care of ourselves. Oh, well, that's most important, yes, you know. I mean, it's, it's pretty hard times now with this COVID, you know, but, I mean, I mean, but luckily, like I said, I mean, I've been in, you know, uh, I've been home for about the last nine or ten months. In fact, I've been home so much, I didn't realize I don't even like myself. I didn't know. I don't know how my wife put up with me. I mean, I, you know, sometimes now I don't like myself, you know. So I mean, wow. you know, but I mean, it, it gave me time to be introspective. I can tell you that much. You get, you get to learn yes. a whole lot in these last ten months. You learn to learn a lot about yourself. So I mean, it, it, it's been good in some points, but you know, it, I mean. Hopefully, you know, we'll be through this in a little while. Yes. Well, I started this 10 months ago because a lot of our New York City uh, ball players were, were passing away. And, and this is something that we can bridge the gap and kind of get some lessons for the next generation who will hear these interviews, you well, know, from years I mean, to come. And the thing about it, and I, I, to be honest with you, I challenge New York ball players because California and every place else is taking over and whatnot. And, and uh, you know, I mean, I mean, we talk about work and we talk about, you know, that, but I mean, 
Uh, I, I I mean, I don't know why players in New York. I mean, basketball. I mean, I mean, we're the hub of, of basketball, and we should have more players. I think you know. I mean, playing uh, collegiately, professionally, or, or getting into it. I mean, I want to see. I mean, I want to see New York the hub of, of the basketball world again. And, and um, I like to see. You know, I know you don't have the Rutgers, and the AU has changed a lot of things. But you know, we still should put out some great basketball. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to see some more come out. Yeah, we, we have a, a, a few of them out there. Uh, it's just that they leave New York City. Uh, and they go out to prep schools and they go to transfer to other schools. And we don't know they're from New York until maybe later on. But I understand what you're saying because we need to uh, get back to work here in New York City to improve yeah. what's going on. I want to see my brother Kemba Walker get, get well too because he's on my team. I mean, they got a good team. I want to see him do well. I, I, he's finally got an opportunity to play. You know, and I, I'm, just, I'm just upset that he's he's hurt. I mean, he's in New York and I've been waiting to see him, you know, do well. This sounds like he's been hurt, but, you know, you know, he's a New Yorker and he's a Celtics. So I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for him all the way around. That's right. That's right. Well, before we go, uh, Coach Johnny Mathis wanted me to tell you say hi. I interviewed him last night. Oh, he told okay. me to say hi. Uh, and, and great Bobby Zorro Hunter. <laughs> Bobby Hunter, okay. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Okay. So I, I want to thank you for, for coming on the show. And it's an honor to start on Black History Month with such a legend like yourself and a hero of all of us basketball players in New York City. So I want to thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Man, I really enjoyed it, and I hope you do well. Thanks a lot, Jim. Okay. All right. All right. Good night. Good night. All right. Thank you for joining the show. Thank our guest, Hall of Famer Charlie Scott, for a great interview and a great history lesson. Please check out the interviews, check out the lessons. Thank you for supporting. Basketball Heads Live, we are the official home for New York City basketball.